I'm in this contest and I'm dancing and I drop my pants and a girl smacks my butt and I fall off the bar. So my right leg catches on the bar sink, all my weight goes on my left ankle and it breaks my leg. And I'm drunk, you know, completely. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode, and I'm super excited today to have a fellow podcaster, Aaron Lane, is here with me. Thanks for being here, man. No, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So you are not only a podcaster, but work for a media company where you cover uh, numerous uh, radio stations, and yeah. you're, I don't know if you're called DJs these days or personalities. Yeah, or, media personality. Yeah, there you uh, go. What do you call it? On-air personality would be another way. I do it for five different stations, which is crazy to consider. I'm like the only guy in the building who's done every single station. And you haven't been there that long. No, a uh, year and a half or yeah. two years coming up. Awesome. So, it's, And it's then you're cool. also uh, outreach for a treatment, treatment center. center. Yeah, Hotel of, California by the Sea Yeah, back in November. So that's happened as a result of the podcast strategy to try. So. Yeah. Um, and JB and Ben have both been on here and they've yeah. both been with you, right? At least JB. So JB has, Ben hasn't yet. That's, yeah. uh, I think I've got him scheduled for next month. Awesome. Uh, been looking forward to that because he has a wild story sure, and no uh, an interesting connection to that. But yeah, I mean, as yeah. a result of interviewing him and a handful of other guy, people who work with hotels, it's like, this place sounds awesome. I would love to be a part of that. And it just worked out. Yeah. So I'm really happy to be there. Yeah. So all this great stuff going on in your life, you've got just celebrated three years Correct. of sobriety, which is awesome but prior to all of our you know good times right. these days there is a story of not so happy times so i kind of want to talk about that and go through it and then we'll circle back and talk about uh, all this no, good i think stuff. that's fantastic i mean yeah i mean just to kind of set the stage for that i mean to have the life that i do today three years of of continuous sobriety uh the gifts within that have been so overwhelmingly positive uh and I never want to ignore that. I, I want more of it. It's like that within itself, I'm addicted to the good life. Mm -hmm. uh, but that came at a cost, and that cost was throwing my life away uh, for a very long time. So I mean, if you want me to rewind the clock as much as possible. I do. I do. Um, you know, I've always liked the way drugs and alcohol made me feel. At a young age, experimentation, uh, I liked the feeling. I liked having a buzz. I just... I've always enjoyed it. I think that drugs are there for a reason. People drink because they like the way it makes them feel. People smoke weed because they like the way it makes them feel. People won't do it if they didn't like it, but I liked it a lot more. And, uh, you know, being a kid, you can't just do it all the time. So, you know, I hit it. Uh, I had some you know, situations in high school, nothing uh, too wild. I mean, I remember uh, being scared straight a couple times and uh, tried to reel that in as much as possible. But once I turned 18, I assumed that idea that I was an adult and I was going to try it all. And uh, I made good on that promise in a lot of ways. Did you have any, did you have any uh, problems growing up? I mean, any mental kind of, you know, anxiety, you know, stuff like that where, where some of us no, or, or di diagnosed or not diagnosed, you know, sometimes we pick up to, to get out and to, you know, at least for me, cover up my insecurities and be the the, Good point. the guy that 
I wanted everybody to see. So, you know, one of the, the early traumatic experiences that, that I, I believe had led me down this path uh, was uh, being what I felt like the center of my parents' divorce. Uh, I played, uh, you know, uh, Little League football, my, uh, and I enjoyed it. And my mom was very uh, friendly with one of my football coaches. And, you know, there was an, it was a weird time in our lives. It was in fifth grade. And, you know, here my dad worked a lot. And this guy showed me kind of like some, like a, a, an uncle attention. Like he loved me. He was encouraging. And he said, you can be really good at this. And, you know, and he and my mom would hang out a bit. And they'd both, you, you know, champion the same cause. And uh, then I found out that they were having an affair with each other. And, uh I felt really responsible for that. And I felt like that for a very long time. And I remember, you know, shoving that down that, you know, early on, I did say something about it. I remember it was Christmas time. My parents were getting a divorce. He's coming over there. And I was so angry. I was like, what do you, why is this guy here? Like he destroyed our family. And it was, you know, I remember being sent to bed on Christmas day. And, and this was like this very, like, what the heck happened uh, type of feeling. And, uh, you know, and part of me, it's interesting because it's like I knew the way that made me feel, but to to say something about it, I got chastised for doing it, you know, immediately. Uh, and I just had to deal with it and I didn't want to deal with it. But I also wanted to save face because, you know, I was being told to do so. I'm still a kid. So did I that just, all happen really pretty close together from the time it started till the oh, time yeah. the divorce I felt like, I mean, you know, my, my parents probably have much better sequence of events because you got to sure. remember I'm a kid, right? right? Yeah. And, I, and I look at that with my childlike understanding. And at the time, it felt like it happened so quickly. And my whole life had changed. And now mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, we're living with my mom. My dad's not around. This guy's always there. He was my football coach. Now he's like my stepdad. My mom ran off and got married to him. I, you know, I mean, it's just like way too fast for my processing. And my mom, it was interesting because she was such a stay-at-home mom. She was involved in PTA and this and took us everywhere. And all of a sudden, that was gone. You know, she wasn't making dinners at home. Like, my brothers and I were fending for ourselves. Uh, my dad saw that issue and stepped in and said, you know what? Because he was not really involved. Like, I mean, my dad's been awesome my entire life. And I can say that as, you know, a grown man and looking back that he did his best. But he will, he will also say that he was not there until that divorce. It was the best thing that ever happened to him because now my dad steps in the picture and he is, uh, he was really amazing. And, uh, and we lived with him and it makes me very emotional because now it's like a dad that's divorced with three daughters. Like there's these parallels mm -hmm. and, uh, all of a sudden my dad was around and, uh, you know, taught us to be uh, men and responsible and you know even if we didn't have money we would eat like kings which would be something he'd say yeah. or you know blood is thicker than water and we're thicker than blood i mean these really beautiful things to kind of remind us like look you know what happened happened but we're gonna do our best and you guys are better and you're you know so that was outside of the drug and alcohol use i mean i as i said experimented i liked the way it made me feel but i found a lot of comfort and uh, confidence in my dad and the way that he was raising us. Uh, and I respected that. I was also afraid of my dad. He's a Marine. So I was like, I'm not trying to push this issue. But, you know, that, that didn't take, that didn't stick. And, and my senior year of high school, you know, I was living with my dad. He got remarried. So now he's remarried. My mom's remarried. We're going back and forth between houses. And I started to recognize that there was a lot more, less rules at my mom's. And uh, in my senior year of high school, I kind of just like ran away from home over there. She let me in arms wide open and that kind of shaped so, some heavy resentment on my behalf. And 
uh, towards my dad at the time, like you know, and and there's that's a lot. What, because he let you he let you go. Yeah, and... it was a weird conversation, and I, and I feel like I'm gonna you know there's I'm missing to hit on some very important parts of it, but just to generalize, I mean, you know, he got married as well. And the woman he got married to never had kids. And at the time, so she's still involved in my life today. She's awesome. My stepmom, Corinne. And, but at the time, it was very tough because this woman wanted to be our mom. She, she understood things that I didn't understand, but also is like she was, she saw a need and she went overboard to fill it, right? I already, I still had a mom. She wanted to be the mom and we were never raised like that. So she was like a drill sergeant herself and very invasive into privacy and, you know, checking up on us at school, like just really going uh, too far with it. Um, And as a result, I didn't want to deal with that anymore. I said, well, you know what? Screw you. I'm leaving. You know what I mean? I'm not going to deal with my dad is not listening to me when I tell him this is this is too much for me. And uh, so I, I left. I went to my mom's house and my dad pretty much just said, well, I guess you have to pay for school yourself and all these other things. And um, we didn't talk for months, like from – I don't even remember inviting him to my graduation at high school because uh, I was angry with him. You know, I felt like, you know, here he did all these things to – you know, he got back involved in our lives. And all of a sudden he was – I felt like he was disappearing again, like he we weren't his focus. And he didn't, you know, listen to us. And and my mom, for whatever reason, even though I had been angry years prior, now all of a sudden was that figure again. And uh, that's something I worry about even with my own kids. I hope there's never that dichotomy of, you know, uh, when things get too bad with their mom, they want to come with me. And if things are too bad with me, they want to go back with their mom. They have to respect those boundaries. So, And during this time, you're turning it up on the partying. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, like, I had graduated high school first, and uh, within a month, I got a job as a bouncer downtown Cincinnati. I mean, I was a big kid, you know, I was working out, you know, I was just, a, and I wanted to be a part of it. And they hired me, I was 17 years old, I was barbacking, and, you know, at 18, I had just turned 18, and they let me watch the door, and here I'm with all these people who are older, they're drinking, they don't know how old I am, they know I work there. And, uh, you know, very quickly you learn that the nightlife is, or at least I learned that the nightlife is where I wanted to be. And, uh, cause that's a whole different I had never life. been exposed to it. I mean, right. it's nocturnal. Yeah. You don't go in until five Correct. or six. So I didn't get up until three o'clock in the yeah. afternoon anyway. And then I'd catch a bus downtown and then I'd hang out, uh, at my, my job bar Cincinnati, which was literally right down the road. Very uh, and then I'd get, uh, what do they call it? Club courtesy. So I would go from there to like cell block or the warehouse for free. I'd often drink for free. I'm meeting women. I'm meeting other people who are partying. I'm trying cocaine for the first time. I mean, it's an insanely fun time in my life and I never want to act like it wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, was I did that shape things moving forward? You know, the arguments there. Um, but, you know, that was a that was a big part of my life. But I still had those sensibilities, too. It was kind of almost like I enjoyed that and I knew it had its place. It wasn't like, you know, my whole life revolved around that. Um, but things did change. I mean, just to kind of, you know, to think on that. Because I haven't thought about that in a while. I mean, you know, I was letting people in the back door at the club. They were giving me money. I was making money on the side. I was getting free drugs. And, you know, it was... If, you, if you're going to do it, I guess that's the time you're supposed to, right? When you're 18, 19, 20 years old. I mean, those would be the times that... A little taste of Hollywood. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which had to be, I mean, for it had to be awesome. It was. But like you said, you can't deny that it, it wasn't. Yeah, But, I mean, that's, you know, you're... You probably have the allergy and didn't know it. Correct. But then you're in a 
place where it's encouraged, it's, right? Yeah, it's a and it's acceptable, and people can be drunks or you know burnouts or whatever. And I sit here and think to myself, like, you know, and I've said this before on my own show, like, I am not anti-drug. I'm not right? I'm just pro-recovery. I'm pro-looking at something that is absolutely a detriment to your life. At that time, I had no responsibilities. Who really cares, right? I didn't have, I was a kid. I was still figuring it out. People go to college, they're figuring it out. They're going to parties, this and that. And sometimes they take it too far. And I can remember at times having some really wild nights where, yes, it could be argued that I took it too far, but it was never in a scenario where I needed it every day to operate. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen, you know, for for really a couple years after the fact. I mean, you know, I'd like to say that through my teenage years and young adult life, that drugs and alcohol were always a part of it. You know, were they the center? I don't believe so, but they were always a part. I was, you know, I would experiment with other things. I was really into Ritalin and Adderall. They made me feel smarter. I would, you know, kind of chill me out a little bit. You know, I'd like to go drinking. I, I was really a fan of Captain and Coke. Like, that was my thing. And, you know, going to Yucatan liquor stand and getting, you know, the majority of it being Captain Morgan's and just a splash of Coke for $5. I get blitzed and then, you know, I could spend $15, $20 and, and have a great night. And that was not every night. It was on a Saturday or whatever. But I spent a lot of time in the club and all my friends were there and all my, my brothers were going and we were meeting people and we were going to parties after that and meeting women or this or that. You know what I mean? Like and you got a free pass to do whatever you want, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least at your place, working at the door and working in the back yeah. and come and go as you please. And I did that. I mean, I didn't do that for, for so many years. I think I did, you know, I did that for a while and then I was... Um, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but no, I actually, more I think about it, I do. I would go, start going to Metropolis, which was up in Fairfield, Ohio at the time. It was three bars in one. And all of my friends who were also bouncers would go there. My brothers would go there. And I'm 19 years old at the time. And I decide I think it's going to be a great idea to, to enter a best buck contest. And I'm drunk. I, I drunk, drank while I was there. I had a fake ID, all these other things. And I'm dancing on this bar while I'm drunk and some girl... Like, like they instruct us to drop our pants. And this is in Cincinnati magazine. Like you can Google me and find this, by the way, uh, which is funny to me now. But I, I'm in this contest and I'm dancing and I drop my pants and a girl smacks my butt and I fall off the bar. And not only I fell with my pants around my ankles, so my right leg catches on the bar sink. All my weight goes on my left ankle and it breaks my leg. So I'm and I'm drunk, you know, completely. And they have to carry me out and they have to take me to the hospital, come to find out, like, I'm going to need surgery. This is a big deal. Like, the bone popped out. It was a really bad spiral fracture. And I didn't have insurance. I, didn't, I mean, like, you know, I was just trying to have a good time. And this really changed a lot of things because now, for whatever reason, um, you know, I, 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 th I thought it would be a good idea to go back up to that club and say, hey, you, I entered a competition. I fell on your premises. You, you know, this is a, you know, an event and you're responsible from a liability standpoint. So they wrote me a check for like a couple grand for a deposit. Like they just assumed liability, right? Like yeah. as I'm sitting here to you and I'm a young guy. So they wrote that check. So I got them, right? Like I know now that I'm going to be able to get, get this whole thing taken care of. Well, it didn't work out that way. Um, they tried to 1099 me for like it was they, they mm. were, you know, there was some pushback and then I got a lawyer and I mean, I had a good case because, yes, it is. You know, this is I participated in something, but I won a lawsuit against them. You know, Cincinnati man falls off bar Sue's dance club for, you know, for incident. <laughs> caught with his pants. Right. Caught with his, his pants ankles. down. And I was so bold and brazen uh, and young 
that I continued to go to that club. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Like, not everybody that knew. Sure. So I did that, and I knew I had this money coming and met a woman, uh, which was, you know, dreams and aspirations of doing big things, right? So I meet this girl. The first one that showed me a, a really a level of uh, attention that I had never had before, uh, she sought after me. Which I thought was really awesome at the time, and uh, dated her for about six months. Got my first place. I see, as I said, I have this money coming. I got a, a different job because now I can't really do anything. Uh, so I got a job like doing telemarketing at an insurance company, and you know, meet this woman. And uh, six months after we were together, she got pregnant. And how uh, old are you at this time? Hmm, twenty three. Okay, twenty three years old. So I uh, still have this money coming, as I said, and, and it's now it's actually, it's getting, that money's getting into my pockets. I have a child on the way. I'm, I have a, a job that could be a potential career uh, in the insurance industry. I see that there's the ability to make money. I mean, I started out making $8 an hour there. And as time went forward, I ended up being their largest producer, uh, which is really an amazing thing. No college education, none of that. Um, like a really great job that we'll get to how I t- yeah. tore that one down. But uh <laughs> You know, bought a house. So I got married. So I uh, found out what she was pregnant, was afraid to tell my dad, afraid, to, you know, wasn't afraid to tell my mom, you know, it ended up being okay. My dad said, you should make an honest woman out of her. And I took that as, okay, I'm going to go ask her to marry me. So I head back to my apartment. She's sitting on the couch. I said, hey, you want to get married? She was like, sure. A month later, we were on uh, New Year's Eve of uh, what, 2004, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got a child on the way. She doesn't want to, you know, she obviously she comes from a family that, you know, doesn't think too kindly of having a child out of wedlock. So that was another dynamic of it. You know, that was just like the right thing to do. And uh, in 2005, we bought a house. I had that money. Uh, so I was like, I'm going to put this huge deposit down that way because that would be the only way I could afford it anyway. So I did that. And then a month after we had that house, my first daughter, Stella, was born. And now, you know, getting back to like drugs and alcohol being in the, mm-hmm. they were a part of the picture. Like I hid my, uh, she hated the fact I smoked weed. She hated it. So I hid that. Uh, and I drank normally and maybe I would pop pills here and there if it was circumstantial, but it wasn't every day. And it wasn't even every week or every other week. That was really sparing. Uh, cause I knew, you know, I'd be responsible. I had children. I had this or like this, my life was changing. My first daughter is born and uh, all is well in life and war. And, you know, I mean, uh, it was Stella really was uh, a life changing event to, to witness this child come into, a, into my life. And, you know, I, I knew that I would have to change things because now I have a, a daughter um, and it's a different dynamic. And here now she's a couple months old and we find out we're pregnant again. Really? Wow. Yeah. So you're, that you're churning and burning. <laughs> yeah, like really. You know, the first one's always a surprise, and I tell people this, but the second one was even more shocking because I didn't think it was possible, and yet here she is. Um, man, things really changed at home, though. You know, here you got to remember, I only dated that girl for six months. Didn't really know her. We have a child together. Now we have a house. We're playing house together. Like, we don't really, we don't know each other. We don't know. Uh, there were things. There were red, huge red flags that I chose to ignore because love conquers all, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, right. Um, and the first one, yes, surprise. Second one, as I said, even more shocking because I didn't think it was, but she didn't think it was possible. But now we have another daughter, Maggie. She's on the way. And things are really starting to pick up with my alcohol use and and wanting to smoke weed more because do you think that's because of not gelling at home or is this still i I want to do things no i think it was you you know i think stress is a huge catalyst for my drug use or was 
Uh, and at the time, you know, I felt like, I, you know, the, as I said, the stakes were raised. That money that I got from that incident wasn't paying the bills. I mean, it was pretty much already gone. I mean, I, you know, the house, I have children. We went on a vacation, this, this, and that. I mean, I have to make more money at work. That's stressful. So now I have to be away more, but I also have to be a dad and I have to be a husband. And then you got church involved and you got this and you got that and responsibilities. And I don't know what I'm doing and never dealing with my past in an effective matter either. Um, so it started to pick up. Um, you know, now I have these two children. I remember at the time, you know, I actually started to make really good money, more money than I had ever made and uh, created like a party account. So I knew that, you know, my wife would know what money was coming to her. Slush same, fund. Yeah, the same amount every week. And anything over and above that was going into my own national city bank account. And that was a wild time because then I started getting introduced to other things and, and pain medication was coming on the scene. Uh, and I was dabbling in that a little bit. But this is what's interesting. And I remember that now, but still dabbling. And I think it, looking at it and being honest, it did amp up. But it still wasn't like I needed to constantly. I just knew that I... I would be chastised at home if she knew what I was doing. And it's like, I needed it. Like I'm the provider. You don't work. You get to stay at home. So I should be able to do this. Everything's well. Um, but I also had gained a lot of weight too, a lot of sympathy weight because of these two pregnancies back to back, stress, stress eating, being an insurance guy. I mean, you, you know, going out to lunches and dinners all the time. So I was pushing like 260, 265. Really? And uh, some the injuries from falling off the bar and also being a bar back and bouncer, I had a herniated and ruptured disc. And I've always, I forgot to say this, I used to get migraines too. I still do every so often now, but a lot less frequent than ever in my life, which I'm so grateful for. Um, so now I have insurance and I'm seeing a doctor. I'm like, man, this, you know, my back's hurting a lot and the headaches are, are progressing too. It's stress-induced and, and doctors, you know, prescribes me some Vicodin. That's how it starts. And uh, for a solid year, you know, my, my doctor was my drug dealer. Like, I religiously went. I had never been prescribed 90 pills of anything a month. But now that becomes a part of the, the thing. And this is in 2007, I'd say. Did it take pretty quick? You know what? I think for about a year, interestingly enough, like, it's kind of a blur. You know, it took so, many pain, so much pain medication that I really don't know what went on. And that's sad. Um, and that's just the beginning of the haziness of my life. I remember certain scenarios where it was, it had really gotten bad, but it's just momentary. Like I'll have like, oh yeah, I remember that. For the most part, it's a hazy though. I knew that I had, I went to work. I knew that my wife stayed home. I knew that I had a prescription for these and I knew that they were starting to run out and they had to change from Vicodin to uh, Percocet. And I remember going to my doctor and saying, hey, you know, these are, I'm feeling kind of nauseous in the afternoon and so you increased my dose. I remember these things, right? But still not thinking there's an issue because this is my doctor, all is well, I'm making money, blah, 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 blah. Just ignoring it all and just mm -hmm. carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. And uh, fast forward a bit to 2008. So this is kind of no issues really. Like some home stuff, like we're not really compatible, but we're trying to make it work like most people are when they I think. I don't know. I've never only been married once. And uh, so that's my only reference point. But- you know, we tried to do the right thing and uh, bless her heart for, for that. Um, but we got pregnant again. Now we have another girl on the way. And I remember that as being like, oh, here we go. At least we're getting it out of the way. But I have this, uh, you know. Your oldest is what, three yeah. at the time? Yep. Whew. Yeah, three girls in four years, right? Mm. So my first two are only 13 months apart. 
which is insane to consider. And my youngest one, I remember being in church like a week before that, right? And our, our pastor saying, children are a gift from God. And I'm like, you know, look at my wife at the time, like, he's right. And, uh, you know, we just, just like a week later, she was pregnant again. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> this is, but I already, you see, this is the thing. It's your dad, right? So you understand how beautiful it is to have children and how amazing they are. And while I have this, this uh, drug abuse thing, or even, you know, I'm towing the line or it's being prescribed. Everybody I knew was prescribed pain medication at the time. A lot, or a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people sure. I knew. And I had some pre-existing conditions. I had a bad back. I had headaches. Like this is what my, the course of action my doctor gave me. But I also remember it making me very hazy and it kept stepping up the dosage. And it got to the point where it was I was affecting my job and I have a child on the way. And it was so much so that I go and talk to my doctor about it. So he gives me, prescribes me Adderall. So now I'm taking Adderall and I'm taking Percocet. So I'm like on this pharmaceutical speedball and I am a nightmare to be around. I can remember very quickly, you know, it's interesting. I was already taking the, the, the pain meds, but the Adderall is what scared me. I remember giving it, telling my wife, you need to hide this because I really like the way it makes me feel. I was honest about it. Just told her flat out. And she tried to do that, but I would leave. This, this is early on. This is within the first month of being prescribed it. I left home to go and find the medication in that house so I could take another one. This is how quickly that happened. Oh. Soon enough, I just, uh, uh, she wouldn't hide, she wasn't trying to hide them for me. I was like, I, I, if I can't do this, I shouldn't be able to take them anyway. So I'm going to do it myself. Like I'm a grown man, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. And that took off. And then now all of a sudden my doctor is uh, noticing some signs, kind of cut, cutting me off. And I don't know if, what, for whatever reason, I'm still getting the Adderall, but not the pain medication, you know. Um, but the interesting about the Adderall is all of a sudden my weight is dropping too. So I'm going from this bigger guy that's taking pain meds to like dropping weight. So now I've like lost 50 pounds in two, three months. And I look and I'm, you know, because of the Adderall, because, you know, it's, it's speed, right? Sure. And I'm on the other stuff and I've got a constant buzz all the time and I'm at work and now I'm thinner. And I can even remember at the place that I worked, they had this like weight loss competition and I smoked everybody, right? So I won like another hundred bucks. So that just further drove the, drove the point home. Like, this is the best stuff ever created. I got to take it if I'm going to yeah. win. <laughs> well, and then I started, you know, because my doctor was like cutting me off from the pain meds, then I was like, I'll go see another doctor. And he, you know, uh, filled that, that void. And yet I was still going to the other doctor for the Adderall and I have a doctor for the pain meds. And then he was giving me Adderall. So I'm getting two prescriptions of that. And, and now I'm starting to buy things on the street because I'm not getting enough of the pain meds. Um, Were you up and down like a just mean and nice, Jekyll and Hyde, the oh, whole yeah, line? Constantly. Yeah. I And as I say, it's a blur. And it was. There's certain times I remember that taking so much of things that I was I was just zonked. We were like working on our house. And, and I had a buddy come over and I was so fried that I couldn't even help him frame out my basement. Like I just, I was, you know, out to lunch mentally, not mm -hmm. physically, but... Uh, uh, so can I paint this picture of, so this, my third daughter is being born and it's gotten so bad in that period of time from being prescribed Adderall, let's say eight months time here, you know, like child, we knew within eight months, I was fully addicted to Adderall. I was buying them off the streets. I was buying them from a guy over here in Price Hill in Cincinnati. Um, and he had a son who, uh, was, he, it was either had Down syndrome or on the spectrum. And I recognized that. Uh, and it made me feel bad that I was buying this kid's medication. It was like, how does he have so many? And it was like, the guy's name, let's just say his name's Mike. And then it was like Mike Jr. I'm thinking, 
he only has one boy. That's Mike Jr. And I'm buying that kid's medication. And I didn't like the way it made me feel. But he was going to sell it anyway. So I was like, well, I got to buy it. It was like that that, mm-hmm. that that mental space. And it's a, a terrible thing to, to, to consider. But, you know, I don't have to. I don't have to wear the ugliness of that today. I'd rather talk about it because that's just one situation. Right. Uh, I was having him come to work with his wife to bring these medications to me. And, and then I'm buying Percocet off the street too. And I'm meeting all sorts of people and, you know, getting involved into a, a seedy underbelly of Cincinnati and the pill trade and the pill mill scenario and hang out in Price Hill a lot and over the Rhine. I mean, areas that I'd never been. Right. You got to remember right. my doctor was my drug dealer. Um, you know, it was paid, but it didn't really cost me much. The extra money was so I could, you know, go out or do this or buy whatever I wanted to. Like this really changed things. And I was doing it all the time. And if I didn't have it, I was violently ill. And uh, I had a buddy who would co-sign my, my BS, uh, who was also on, on, you know, doing the same thing. So then we linked up together and, you know, I'm trying to perform at work and now I have a child on the way. And I can remember, and I've never talked about this thing on a show, but um, you know, my child is being born, and uh, I was on about 300 milligrams of Adderall a day, and about at least 150 to 200 milligrams of oxycodone. Okay, at Dude, least it's crazy. And <clears throat> it was this child was here, and I was you know like living really living paycheck to paycheck too, and I mean it was because I'm using all this money to buy these pills, and you know trying to figure it all out, and having issues at work. And uh, my, uh, my wife at the time is being induced. She never would allow, allow our children to go full term. And she was just like, I get these things out of me. So we knew when we were, she was going to have this baby. And I, was supposed, I had to pick up pills that same day. And I needed them. I, like, there's no doubt in my mind. I needed them at the time. And uh, so we show up there. And he's, I can't get a hold of this guy. And my wife's in labor. And I feel t- I'm sick. And I'm like in and out of almost like in and out of consciousness because I had been taking so much of this and I'm detox, really withdrawing from it. And if you ever withdraw from both pain medication and Adderall at the same time, it's psychologically and physically draining. I was, it was like I had the flu times 10. And I remember laying on this couch and my, I invited my mom because we were naming Lily after, you know, her middle name is the same as my ex-wife and my mom. And she's there and I can't even, I have no energy to stand. I don't feel good. I'm like, well, my child's being born like... It's sad to say, like, I, she's the only one that I don't really remember. You know what I mean? I remember not feeling good, but I don't remember seeing her or remember holding. I remember my mom, I believe, cutting the umbilical cord, but I was out of it. And here we're moving. You know, we're at Christ Hospital. It's going to make me cry. Um, and finally, I get a hold of that guy. My, child, my daughter had just been born. You know what I mean? I needed to leave. So I go get this. I left. I remember it was it was late at night, and I I met this guy, and I got him, and, I, and then I took him, and I felt so much better. But I didn't have the, the so I only I took care of the Adderall part, but not the pain med part. So I go back to the hospital. I'm feeling way better. I'm not going to be sleeping that night. I wasn't going to be sleeping anyway. And my wife's laying in in the um, in her bed uh, her, her bed there, and she's getting pain meds. And I was like, Can you get me some? I don't, you know, I still, as you know, I don't feel good. Can you get me some? So she got the nurse to give her more and just gave them to me. And then she got a prescription for him as we're, we're leaving. And I was going to go pick up her prescription. And I took the entire bottle and ate them before I went back. And I was like, I lost your prescription. 
So she just right then. Yeah, right then. Shit. Yeah, like right down the road too. Uh, and she had a different doctor in this. Like, I mean, it was it was so bad. Um, and I had her convinced at the time that I like I sent him on top of the car. I mean, I don't know what happened to him. So then and she believed in, you. I guess at the time. I mean, ish. Yeah. I mean, there was obviously I was having sure, issues, right? Sure. But, right. 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 Um, so this child's being born. You know, like I was just trying to condense this because I know we're we're kind of limited in some ways, but. Um, I don't remember my daughter being born. I remember my mom cutting the umbilical cord. I remember taking medication from my wife at the time. I remember stealing and taking all of her meds after she just had this baby and making her deal with talking to her doctor to get more. She was in serious pain. I mean, she just had a child, like full vaginal birth, like real deal. And, uh, you know, whatever. She'll get her new ones. And they, and they did. They prescribed her another one. And I guess they gave her something else because they don't, you know... But, <laughs> but you then, knew what you had to do. Oh I mean, yeah, that's, it, that's what that's the thing. That's I mean, the that's the job of it. Yeah, and people and and that's the thing. Let's not never ignore that. Like this is just tip of the iceberg when things get terrible, right? This is just one scenario when I was still on the pills. But as a result of all that insanity and the chaos at home as well, and having three girls and being a you know a, a drug addict on top of it and trying to have a career style job, it wasn't going to work. And I got let go of that job, um, and I let I let go because I, I I noticed I knew I had a problem. I talked to my mom about it. I talked to my doctor about it. Um, I spent a week at her house detoxing. Um, went back to work the next without a solution, right? And went back to work, and within a couple weeks, I was right back doing the same thing. Uh, which I was like, why did I even stop? This is so stupid. You know, I feel yeah. so much better now. But I wasn't performing at work and I was lying and I was stealing money from my boss and I was stealing money from my mom. And I was, st- I mean, like, this is early on in it when the first time, like, because I couldn't make it come together like I used to. Yeah. And uh, so let's push, yeah. move forward a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. How did it get? I mean, it got obviously got uglier. Yeah. Uh, you know, over the next, you know, who knows how many years. But what was, you know, what was the, the last little bit like and what, so, and what did it for you? Okay. Well, I mean, I, t- I can tell you this flat out. So that pill addiction and Adderall thing turned into uh, heroin and then it turned from, you know, snorting heroin to IV heroin and uh, getting in trouble with the law and uh, being arrested many times and, you know, uh, detoxing in jail and going to cat house rehab, prospect house, uh, treatment in jail, River City, which was a lockdown facility. Uh, I did a lot of these things, and, and my ex-wife went through it all with me. Um, and from 2009 until 2016, my life got progressively worse. Um, in 2016, look, no one wants to be married to a drug addict, right? Flat out. No one does, unless they are themselves. And even right. then, it's chaotic. And bless her heart for, like, sticking on as long as she did. But not to say she's fantastic, but she did, you know. All things considered, I can only own my part, and I was—I uh, became terrible. Uh, and we don't think we were ever meant for each other anyway, because like, the woman I'm with today is the most amazing woman. She's just cool, uh, and she knows what I've been through. So 2016 was pretty much on overdrive. Uh, you know, I had been arrested a lot. I kept getting caught. I got into a situation where I fought the police, too. I had never done that, but here I was with a dope boy and uh, took— uh, decided to run from the police and take a police officer's pepper spray. And I mean, like things you can't even fathom that being, you know, uh, you know, a a father of three girls would ever do. 
uh, being dragged out of my mom's house was the last thing. It was in December 7th of 2016. I was hanging out in her closet uh, under clothes and uh, the police came, the, the state troopers, whatever they call it. Uh, it doesn't matter. Right. They showed up to get me out. I was going to get high that day. God had other plans or a higher power, whatever you want to consider it. Um, and I was sent to jail and I thought my life was over. And this is where something very key is and very important to me. You know, I have been given a lot of chances. I have been to a lot of treatment. I have been in jail. I've been done it all. And I was convinced I was going to prison because not only did I have a new possession charge, but I had that fighting with the police charge and fleeing and evading. Like, all, it was so bad. Felonies, felonies, felonies. felonies. Like, yeah, I have, I'm a five-time convicted felon at this point in time, still today, uh, which I'm working on expungement now, which is really exciting. And, and we yeah, won't have time to sure. talk about that. Yeah. But that's, that's going to happen because of what I, I believe so. And if it doesn't, whatever. Um, but I went in front of a judge that I, went, I had seen back in 2009, Judge Kimberly Burke with Hamilton County Adapt Drug Court Program. And she remembered me. And I didn't think I could even go back through her program. But she looked at me and I couldn't even, I mean, I was so ashamed. I was so beaten up. My mom was the only person there. And she thought, I was convinced she was going to say, Mr. Lane, I can't do anything for you. You're going to be referred to another court, prepare for prison. And she said, Mr. Lane, I, I can tell you don't have any hope, but I have hope for you. And I remember thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is, doesn't make any sense. Like, you're going to give me another chance at treatment. And court ordered, and it sucked. I mean, you know, but I was there, and uh, while there, I had a spiritual experience that I've never, you know, like, you got to remember, I have give, been given a lot of education about the disease of addiction, uh, substance use disorder, alcoholism, uh, the legal consequences of it, the family issues, the dynamics, all of it. But I've never had the spiritual component. I've never had a deeply personal relationship with a God of my own understanding. Never have. And that was developed in that treatment center. Uh, you know, I've talked about this this scenario many times, but it was just to, because people can hear it, it's out there. I have it on a lot of different mediums. and, and uh, But to make it, it was deeply personal. And I had an understanding without a shadow of di a doubt that God was real and that he was going to allow me to use my voice to bring other people out of addiction and ugly circumstances, a tragedy to triumph of stories of sorts. And since that day, even though I was 45 days into my, my sobriety, that's the day my recovery began. Uh, I'll be celebrating that here soon. Uh, even though I celebrated three years, this is a more impactful day for me. Uh, you know, I lost that relationship with my, my, my wife, my family felt, you know, it just all fell apart. I had no job, no prospects in life. But as a result of all the ugly stuff that I've done and the constant reminder that I should use this voice and the spiritual experience, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this radio thing. I'm going to make it happen. I made a commitment to my children, like all of it. And as we talked about before, these things kind of systematically, and I can give you some bullet points of kind of like how this, I finished that treatment program. I spoke in front of the entire Hamilton County, like the main guy speaking that my life had been saved. I In front of who? Uh, in front of the judge, in front of my oh. dad, my kids, like the community. Like I was the guy. Like I can't even believe it. You know, they always talking about that one person is going to yeah. make it in this. And I was yeah. that one guy. And I remember being so adamant about it. Like I am done. I had this experience that changed everything. I don't care how long this is going to take. It's going to be the last time I'm going to do it. And I made sure to own, like, to own that. Like this is the last time. Like let's do, like if God is real, then I'm going to take this as far as I possibly can and really put all my eggs in that basket for once. We wanted it. Right. 
more than anything else because I knew what the other stuff looked like. I knew how ugly it was. I'm like, how far can I take this? Let me have this doing big things dream. This, you know, mm-hmm. I was saying with dreams and aspirations, like of doing big things, like it has to be bigger than what that was. And let's see how big it can be. If I trust in the process and I show up and do the right things and, you know, you could say speak it into existence, the power of positive thinking, um, you know, the list goes on. Uh, but I think it comes down to like God's grace and just showing up. That's a simple sure. answer to it. Um, so graduated that program, spoke at that program. Two days after that started broadcasting school. While two weeks at that broadcasting school, I got an opportunity to be an intern uh, at Cumulus Media. They accepted it. So now I'm going to school. I have an internship that's going to, you know, school lasts eight, eight months. Uh, the internship's going to last eight months. I have to work third shift. I have to do all these, you know, I have to like figure it out. But I said, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes. So go to school, work third shift, do my internship every day, every day, every day. The day after I finished that uh, Ohio media school, I got offered a job at Cumulus Media to be a remote technician, which says, hey, I'm going to go to concerts and I'm going to hand, you know, keychains out. And I was like, cool, at least I got in the door, right? And uh, two weeks after being an employee, they gave me an opportunity to get on air and I couldn't believe it. You know, this dream that I've had, like to use my voice and they're letting me, it's, it's happening. And it was very, in a very emotional time. I went back to my dad's and, and heard it and I couldn't even believe like after everything I've been through, like this doesn't make any sense. Like even right. believing that it's going to happen doesn't mean that it does. Right. Yeah. But it and, was and on an accelerated, like this unbelievably yeah. fast pace. Like who, what do you mean? Like a year ago I was putting a needle on my arm and now I'm, I'm literally thousands of people are hearing my voice right now, right now. Right. And people want to, and people are looking forward to, it. and there's always people who are in recovery that, that are like, man, this works. And I get to be a part of that. Isn't that like, I'm not like on a different playing field. I am part of, but it's just like, wow, this thing is real. And so I need to show people. Yeah. So I do that. And then like a month after that, I get an opportunity to get on another radio station. It's like, oh my gosh, now it's two of them. Now, you know, this, that, and then, you know, uh, a couple months later, I got another one. And then I start the podcast, Tragedy to Triumph. Yeah. Right? Let's, so let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So when, so, so you're inundated with all these great things in life, you got the job. What, when did you start thinking about the podcast and was it you just playing off everything you were getting out of radio and early recovery and and all that stuff? Well, that's a good, that's a good question actually. So I had thought about that over a year prior to doing it. I was sitting down, like I love going to meetings and listening to people share their story. Their leads, they call them, or Mm -hmm. I love listening to this because they're, they're funny. They're sad. They're like, wow, you've been through a lot and you turned it around. And I'm like, what better way to showcase? We call them horror stories. I remember being in treatment a lot because I have been. And you're allowed to talk about the insane stuff that you've done. But if you don't end it on recovery, then what are you? why would you even share that story? Like, I don't care. You know, people like to hear the stories like, well, my drug dealer was like this. Imagine this crazy thing, blah, 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 blah. But if you just leave it there, then you're sitting in the sickness. And I was right. like, well, that's a war story. I don't want to do that. I want to showcase that people's lives are changing, that you can do all of these things and still end out on top, anybody. Right. Which, so is, that a was be- the idea. which is a beautiful, right. perfect name for the show. Right. Tragedy to Triumph. And, and actually, I didn't come up with that name. A buddy of mine who had struggled for a long time saw my stuff for the radio and, you know, all these things that I'm doing. And he's like, bro, you know, just call-. he was like, you're an inspiration, like an actual story of tragedy to triumph. And I was like, huh. 
ding, ding. There's ding, my ding. name because I was going to call it War Stories or like, you know, Addiction Talk with Aaron Lane. You know, like yeah. who knows? Right. Um, I was like, I got to do that. So I developed the idea. Uh, it took some time. Like this is, as you know, this is not easy to just come up with and and figure out. Like, uh, and I have full support of the radio station. They're not like no financial support. They're like, if you want to do it, we're going to let you do it. You can use the studio here. Uh, you got to get clearance if you're going to have people in the building. Like, I mean, let's make this is a real thing. Yeah. But you got to do all the work. So I was like, all right. So we got to register name. I got to make design a logo. I've got to, you know, like all of it. And uh, that whole process took several months. Uh, I got an opportunity, like the guy, uh, Axel Lowe, who is the program director of 96 Rock. He just moved back down to Atlanta, but he did my first episode with me and he, he got my story. I was like, that's what I want. He was like, he was said, do it chronologically, do it like someone does a lead, what yeah. it was like, what happened, what it's like now. And he did it and he spent three hours with me. And I was like, man, he was willing to like, that's a commitment. He must obviously believe in this idea. If he's it's an important dude. He's got a radio station to run and he's going to do this. So I was like, all right, he invested in me. So I have to invest the same amount of time in, in doing it as well. I uh, recorded a couple more episodes, released them to the world in February of, of last year. Man. Uh, awesome. <laughs> who could have ever imagined? Like, that's the one thing when I start to really talk about, because I haven't had a talk, chance to talk about that, really. Right. To People just see it. And uh, it doesn't make any sense. Um I mean, it it, uh, it it connects. People connect to it. And it's long and, and things are changing for this year. But ultimately, I wanted to showcase people's stories of hope, amazing stories from people in recovery and get that ugliness and get the beauty of it. Yeah. The triumph is implied because we're having a conversation about the ugly stuff. And I love the wild stories. And I'm like, if I spend the time and really, because I'm the only person doing it, no one's helping me do any of that. Um, I, they just let me use the studio. And thankfully they do. Um, editing, promoting, all of it. Um, but I made a commitment. I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to put 100% into it like I've done everything else. And it's mine. I trademarked it. Like, I just got my trademark paperwork two days ago from the United States government. Like, I mean, this is this is not a little thing. It's, like, it's not a – because I don't know what it turns into. I just know how it started. But I've done over 50 episodes uh, in less than a year. Uh, garnered over 60,000 downloads that the, the Facebook page – uh, reaches, I think my metrics right now are like 390,000 people from December 10th to today. Unbelievable. It's crazy. Well, you start thinking about, I mean, like it's not, it just keeps me going. Uh, it has caused some issues. There's some like, because it becomes, I, I have this obsessive uh, sure. thing and because I'm putting a lot of attention in it, some things naturally fall off and, uh, sometimes I can, I need to like put it down. My girlfriend's really good about saying, just please, you know. It's not you're you're sober. You're good. You hit, you know this that. But that's how we work, right? You know, our minds I mean, I are can't I one have speed. To. You know? Well, she's to to to, and I've told her this. Like she didn't see the things leading up to this. She just sees the guy that she has today. And I'm glad that she knows this guy because she would have never dated the other one ever. Uh, so I have to you know kind of it's a give and take, but that's been really amazing in a very short period of time. Uh, has allowed me to meet amazing people uh, in the community and get their stories and hang out with a police officer because I ran from him. Like, I thought that was wild. And he's been like one of my closest, uh, you know, recovery advocates, time signing, who's awesome. You've had him on yep. here too. Yep. So you already know. Wonderful person. Um, yeah. Speaking at events, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones Conference, I did that. Literally, uh, the third month into having that podcast, I, I got the chance to stand on a stage and MC uh, an entire uh, 
conference, my mom was in the audience. And, you know, this is kind of like an Al-Anon thing. It's faith-based. And she got to be the mom who said, my son got through this. And that was a huge thing, like really beautiful. Uh, But I'm doing that again this year, which is great. I'm like involved, hugely involved in the process. Uh, That's turned in all sorts of things, new opportunities, new people, people from other states. Uh, I interviewed Steve-O, even though I can't release it, which was, you know, pretty cool. Uh, Heck yeah, man. Yeah, that you was You can't the, release it? Yeah, it's a long thing. I don't okay. know if I want to keep Yeah, that's No, that's all right. That's all right. That's yeah, still it's fucking just, awesome though. I mean, you know. It's like I can I just power like literally putting it out there like saying, I'm going to interview, I'm going to it's going to happen. I'll show you some messages after we're yeah. done here. Like it's cool. Yeah. Uh But it, you know, the bottom line is you had help, but you fought for yourself. Yeah. And No one's going to do this for you. Right. Right? You know, and you want it and well, one of the lucky ones, you know, you, you had, uh, you know, the, the spiritual awakening, which, you know, whatever works. And, and you've now, you now have a platform and several platforms to, to help uh, other people. And you're obviously helping thousands and thousands and thousands. So it's a uh, hard thing to kind of, pro- even hearing it, it makes me feel kind of funny, honestly. Yeah, sure. Um, because this is the bottom line, right? And I, and I like to reel it back in and, and why I believe this is important and why I do what I do, right? Mm-hmm. I believe that if, like, addiction can happen to anyone, but so can recovery, all right? And people need to know that there are different walks. People need to know that my recovery is mine. It's very personal, and so it's the same thing with yours, right? Yours is very personal to you. And that there, we don't, I don't want to pigeonhole someone and say, this is the only way that you can do it. There's many different ways, and I want to explore those, and I want to show people and offset all the ugliness we see. We see so much ugliness, I'm like, people are changing. And if you can you, if you can get that and, and share that with the world, the more that you see that, the more hope and inspiration someone's going to have. And I genuinely believe that when one person is saved, that they can help to a magnitude of 10, okay? Just take my, my life, your life, you, you see the amount, amount of people you're helping, my buddy Daniel, like these people have been, if your life is saved, you, especially in recovery, you want to give back in some way. Everybody I know, it's rare that I ever find someone that doesn't. If that person is affecting their household, their community, their workplace, I mean, the list goes on. If they become a public figure or whatever it is, don't even have to be a public figure. But think about how many people positively that person is impacting because they've changed their life. The more people who change their lives, the more people it's going to affect positively. So if we do that, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's this whole do big things. It's like, hopefully... By someone saving, you know, like listening to the show, it doesn't even have to be at the show, just maybe a conversation, just that moment of compassion that they take that with them and then they affect that on their own. And then that person, those people do the same thing and do the same thing. Yeah. That's why. Okay. So rounding it out. Yeah. How is the relationship with your daughters? Oh my gosh. So. Because, because, you know, at at the time they were probably old enough to see some of this stuff. Yeah. And, and and understand some of this stuff. Yes. So, uh. They have, and I didn't get into a lot of those scenarios, but you can't be a dad fully addicted to IV drug use and not have your children be affected in some negative way. There have been times where there have been a, a time where I took my children with me to, to cop dope. I made them sit in the car, count to 100. I feel bad about that, just stealing from you know, all sorts of stuff. So there's been some things that have happened as a result, like where they're afraid if they, they have to come into the store with me, things like this yeah. that I know as a result of that fears you know they're girls but my relationship with them is very transparent uh there's obviously certain things i'm not going to talk to them about but i have to be living evidence that uh 
their recovery is real and that I love them because they did save my life. Stella Maggie Lilly saved my life. And I say it like that for a reason, because I was able to look at them and hear their voice and understand that they're just innocent bystanders in all this. And they need their dad. Every child needs their parent. And as they get older, they're going to need me even more, right? Because they're going to have to navigate the life and what boys are going to be like and what, you know, boys are gross. Um, (laughs) And what better way, you know, they always say like girls are going to try and date someone they're like their dad. Like that's just something we hear. And I didn't want them to, to seek somebody that was like the guy I was a couple of years ago. Um, right. So that, yeah, it makes me really want to cry when I think about my daughters. My relationship with them is so special, so fun. My oldest daughter is so, man, she's amazing. She is beautiful. She's smart. She is like, just has a light that emanates from her. My middle daughter, Maggie, has the biggest heart at and gives the best hugs, and she's so emotional. My youngest daughter, Lily, is like all the insane parts of my personality, uh, and she's like a star. There's no doubt in my mind. Like, she's selling Girl Scout cookies right now. We're going to make a video again, and she's really funny. But my relationship with them is real, and they know that they can come to their dad, and we spend time together, and it's not just a matter of just being able to pay for things for them. Like, we do stuff. We have fun. We laugh. We we went out to dinner last night. I mean, like, we do normal things. But a recovery has afforded me a, a way to have a relationship with anybody, especially my children, that is more real, raw, and to the heart than anything that has ever happened in my life. And that I'm extremely grateful for. So I'm actually, it's like the ugly stuff didn't have to happen, but it did. Sure. And as a result of that, it shows me how much more important the the other things are. Yeah. So yeah, that's been great. Relationship with the ex-wife's good. Uh within reason. You know what I mean? She's my ex. I right. mean, like, I don't have to see her every day. I don't have to deal with her, which is right. fantastic. Relationship with my parents, they can trust me. My employers, the people that I come in contact with today have never seen the ugly. So it's kind of pretty, kind of cool to, yeah. there's a lot behind this. Um, I don't have anything bad to say. Like wild things have happened. I don't want to, I don't want to say and come off of this and not say that life can still be very difficult. Ugly things happen. Uh, but I have been given the opportunity of a fresh perspective I am inclusive of other people into my recovery to get their points of view and to really sometimes uh, go about things a different way that I might not have thought about first. I'm slower to react um, and quicker to see my place in all of it and how I can at least, if I can't change all of those, you know, people around me, I can at least change the way I'm looking at that to see if it makes my life a little easier. And I'm all about that. Yeah. You know, people love a comeback story. Yeah. You know, I heard that very early on, you know, you know, they don't necessarily care what happened, but how you get up and dust yourself off and um, seeing your children. My, I've only shared with my oldest very recently, a couple of three and or four months ago. You and I talked ago. about that when you were on. Right. And it was before I did it, I right. think. It was, said, what, said, what, what am I going to do? do? Yeah. So just do it. Right. And I did. And <clears throat> even though she's 12 and I don't know your kids, what when you 14, told them. Yeah. They're, I mean, she held my hand, you know, I'm yeah. like, they're, they're extremely intelligent and even not really understanding they get it. But the cool thing is for both of us is they don't have to see us like that no. ever. Right. You know, God willing. Yeah. Not only you know? that, but like the compassion they have too. Yeah. And the for love, you. they're like, they just love you, right? Your children Unconditional. just love us. And they, uh, they already, it's funny because they, they, I said, I, your dad just wants, I just want to be a good dad. I remember saying that early on in my recovery. And my daughter, Maggie, would be like, you're already a good dad. And I'm like, but I need to feel like it. That's the thing. I, that was the takeaway. She already thinks I am. Let me make sure that I am. Right. Make sure that I can rest my head at night, not worry that I'm destroying this ch- child's life. Yeah. 
because I was. such a good feeling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No and now it's like, you know, we got a house. I got, you know, this. I'm going to Girl Scout meetings. I'm taking them here. We went thrifting last night. I'm not trying to thrift. I'm just like, cool, go yes. have fun with it. Financial can do that. Allow them to, right. you know, that's what and life's present. about. Present's the biggest You don't have, thing, yeah. you know, pills burn a hole in your pocket or, you know, you have to be somewhere else. And it's kids a, are expensive. Such a, a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, brother, uh, I appreciate you, you coming and I'm... Uh, Glad to know you. Glad to be your friend. Absolutely. And, uh, Thank you. This is all for the greater good. So No, I think it's awesome what you're doing. And I think it's, uh, you know, any as much as we can get out and, and show people, uh, you know, to, to change the narrative of what addiction recovery, you know, can or what recovery can be, I'm all for and I stand behind a thousand percent. So I stand behind you and everything that you're doing. I think this is awesome. Yeah. Likewise. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Do big things. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound, artwork by Neltner Smallbatch, and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.